Okay, some of you I know enjoy having your Bibles to where we're going. Going to be in only two places today, and one we're going to be uh, there for several scriptures. So if you want to turn to Second Chronicles, that's about a fourth of the way through your Bible. Second Chronicles, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel's Kings, Chronicles. I'm trying to help you out, Tom. The nation of Israel they received their first king in 1050 BC. His name was Saul, and he started out a great guy, a head taller than anybody else, handsome, just doing exactly what God wanted him to do, and then somewhere along the way he decided, yeah, okay, I'm gonna do mostly what God wants me to do, and then it got to where he's gonna do partly of what God wants him to do, and he didn't do 100% of what God wanted him to do. You and I never obey that God way, God that way, do we? We never obey God just mostly or partly. We, we never do that. After Saul was king for 40 years, then David became king. He was king for 40 years also. Then after David was king, his son Solomon became king, and he was also king for 40 years. So the nation of Israel had three kings 120 years from 1050 B.C. until 930 B.C. 930 B.C., the kingdom of Israel split into two nations. They were the northern kingdom, which retained the name of Israel, and then they were the southern kingdom of Judah. Israel had 17 kings. All of the kings were bad. Now, they may have had an appearance of doing the right thing, but the 17 kings were bad. The northern kingdom of Israel lasted until 722 B.C. when they were conquered by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom of Judah had 17 kings, but some of their kings were good and some of their kings were bad. And they lasted until 606 B.C. when the Babylonians uh, overtook them. So I want us to go back to 854 B.C. when both Israel and Judah were nations. And I want us to look at Jehoshaphat, who is in the southern kingdom of Judah. Jehoshaphat would be put in the category of a good king. But what Jehoshaphat doesn't know in 854 BC is that trouble is brewing for him. I did a wedding in June of 21. And it was, a, it was a nice wedding. And the mom of the groom was having a good time. But whenever it got to where she was dancing with her son, who was the groom, I have never seen one individual cry so much at a wedding as this woman. I mean, her son, his jacket must have been soaked by how much she was crying. But she was having a, a, a good time at the wedding. But... She didn't know it, but trouble was brewing for her at that time. You see, two weeks ago, she found out that she is in stage four of pancreatic cancer. Might there be some kind of trouble brewing for you and, and you haven't 
like Jehoshaphat and this mom, a clue? So what trouble was brewing for King Jehoshaphat in 854 B.C.? Second Chronicles 20, the first verse. The Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom. From the other side of the Dead Sea, it is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. So, you can see on the map that the enemies have traveled down the eastern side of the Dead Sea and have rounded the southern tip of the, the Dead Sea, and they've gone up and about halfway through, long about where the letter D is in Dead Sea, just to the west of there, that's where all these armies have camped out. And so they're there. And what that spells out for Judah and Jerusalem is impending disaster. No doubt that it's going to happen. Now, whenever Jehoshaphat found out that he was going to have a bunch of people attack him, was he glad to, to learn that people were going to attack him? He was not. But was he glad if somebody's going to attack him, was he glad to know the truth of that situation? Yes, he was. Are you glad, even if it's bad news, glad to know the truth of a situation? even if the truth is unsettling. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Get together, we're not going to eat for a while, we're going to pray, we're going to seek God's face so that he'll answer our prayers. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Why is it? Why is it that it often takes something terrible going on in our lives before we get serious about seeking God? It's happened to me. Why is it for many of us that it requires something terrible before we get serious about seeking God and wanting Him to work in our lives. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you, our God. Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They, God's people, have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. It was not common practice for kings to do this. The standing and praying in the temple area was something that was usually reserved for the priest. 
But there was something that Jehoshaphat thought was significant about this event where he took it upon himself to lead God's people in prayer. A life-altering situation was what he knew was happening. And some of us have encountered life-altering situations where we knew that it was only God that could help us. Do you know why God answers uh, similar-looking prayers differently? For example, two people, godly people, they have a disease, and they pray, and friends pray, and one person is healed, and the other is not. Two families, godly people, have financial difficulties. And over a period of time, this one family, they come out. This other family, not so much. There are two couples. They go to church, they're following God, and they're having difficulties in their marriage. Over time, one couple survives. And the other couple, well, I, I hear that he's dating someone and she's dating someone else. Or perhaps two people were involved in really devastatingly bad car accidents. And we pray for both of them and they're godly people and they love God. And yet one of them survives and comes out of the accident practically unscathed. And the other one, well, they're not doing so well. I don't know. I do not know why God answers yes to some requests that look a lot like this other request where he says no. I don't know those answers to that. What I do know is that every time we ask God, he always gives the best answer. Will we like his answer? We may not. But every time, God is going to give us the very best answer possible. And he's going to respond to us and give us that best answer, even though he knows that they're not going to like it, but it's what's best for them. And so I'm going to give it for them. Jehoshaphat continues, But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you, God, would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt, oh, 600 years ago. So they, Israel, turned away from them, the enemies, and did not destroy them. See how they, our enemies, are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Come on, God. If you'd have done your job way back when, they wouldn't even be around to come and give us grief. Now, I, I don't really see that attitude from Jehoshaphat, but I think he's saying that. And I think he's thinking that. Does God need our logic to help him respond appropriately to our requests? Jehoshaphat finally gets to the point. Our God, will you not judge them? for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes 
or on you. Maybe you've been in some tough situations. Situations such as your finances are in shambles. Or maybe there are health issues you're dealing with and, and you've not shared that maybe with somebody else. Or you have problems with your kids or maybe you have problems with your parents. Maybe you're fighting depression. Or maybe you struggle with alcohol and drugs. Maybe you have a gambling problem. Or maybe you fight pornography and lust. Maybe there's anger that you're not really wanting to deal with. Or maybe you have a spouse that is unfaithful. Or you're considering being unfaithful yourself. Maybe you struggle with loneliness or you hold a grudge and you're not willing to forgive someone who wronged you. And it's not that you steal from your employer, but maybe you do steal time from your employer. Or maybe you have trouble just knowing when to be quiet. I don't know what to do, God. It, it, it's like I can't help myself, but my eyes are on you. What if God were to clearly give you the answer to whatever your dilemma is? What if God were to clearly, without a doubt, give you the answer to whatever is bugging you? Would you take his answer or would you try to tweak it a little bit just so it fits you better? I don't know what to do, God. It's, it's like I can't help myself. But my eyes are on you. And Jehoshaphat continues his prayer. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah, with the wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. And I think it was super quiet. Nobody saying a thing. How long they were there, I don't know. I don't think very long. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. Okay, why? For the battle is not yours, but God's. Might it be possible that some of the battles that we fight would go away almost instantly, when we begin living according to the way that God expects us and wants us and encourages us to live. Jehaziel, the prophet, continues. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the path of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, 
and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Though God has told them that they will not have to fight, he does tell them he wants them to go, and there are things that he wants them to do. Fighting is not it, but there are things I need you to do. I need you to take up your positions as if you're going to fight. I need you to stand firm, and I need you to go out to face the enemy tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. What do you think would happen for Judah and Jerusalem and the people in the army? What do you think would happen if the next day that they decided not to go? Ah, God, I trust you to do this, but we're not going. Do you think that God would have conquered the enemies for them if they did not go out? Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. And this is what Jehoshaphat did first, and then all the people around him, all over, hundreds, thousands of people did. As Jehoshaphat would have gotten down on his knees, first of all, and then he bowed with his face to the ground. I don't know if he said anything. I don't think so. He was quiet, worshiping God. And all the people, the men, the women, all their children, did the very same thing. They worshiped God. They were humble before God because they knew that they could not win in the situation in which they found themselves. Maybe you've been in situations like that. So what happened when they were down on their knees? Then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So Levites, some singers, some chanters got up, and they stood up and praised the Lord. Next day, early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. The desert of Tekoa is south of Jerusalem, but just north of where the enemy army is encamped. As, the, as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. When a person truly trusts in God, do they delay their obedience? Let me ask that again. When a person truly trusts in God, do they delay their obedience. How quickly do you obey? When you know God has something for you to do, how quickly do you obey? Early in the morning, God's people left, the army and the singers in front, to prepare to fight the enemy. Why did they go? Why did they have to go? They had to go because their going expressed their faith in what God had promised that he would do. 
After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Do you ever thank God for something he has promised you but you've not yet received it? Do you ever thank God for something he's promised you but it's slow in coming? Do you ever thank God as if it looks as if you're not gonna get what you've asked at him? Do you go ahead and thank him anyway? Do you ever thank God when God has clearly told you no? Do you ever thank God sometimes when it doesn't even make sense? If you and I had been in the army and been leaving Jerusalem that morning, and we knew we'd heard about this army, would it make sense for us to be thanking God that we're going? Absolutely not. It would make no sense at all for us to be thanking God, unless, of course, God has promised that he's going to deliver us. And we know he's a God that can be trusted regardless of our circumstances. And knowing that he's promised us the victory. Do you ever thank God sometimes, even when it doesn't seem to make sense? As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. And this is how that came about. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. Somehow or another, God did this. He had his angels. I, I don't know. don't know. That's what he did. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When did the slaughter of Judah's enemies begin? When did the slaughter begin? As they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes. Is it merely coincidental that God began defeating Judah's enemies as God's people began to sing and praise and thank God? Is that just something that just happened at the same time? Do you ever thank God sometimes when it doesn't even make sense? It took the army of Judah uh, a number of hours to travel the 25 miles, it's a rough terrain through there, no roads, to get down to where the enemy army was. And so I, I, I envision this as the army of Judah comes around to the side where they're, they're going to be looking over a ridge, and I think Jehoshaphat would have sent some scouts up to the ridge to, to see what was going on. And so as these scouts are creeping up and they get up there and they look and they're, they're seeing all these dead bodies, not a single solitary soul is moving, and they, they stand up and the people in the back go, what are you doing? But they're looking around and they're going, come here. You got to see, come up here now. Because 
from the time it took them to get from Jerusalem down to there is how long it took for all these armies to kill themselves. And so there was so much stuff that was good there, equipment and clothing and plunder and money, and then it took three days for the army of Judah to carry off the plunder from their enemies. Verse 27, then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. As they began to sing in praise, the Lord said ambushes. Do you ever thank God sometimes when it doesn't even make sense? Let's sum this up by what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4. In the New Testament, Philippians 4 verse 4. He says it this way. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In what situation? Every situation with thanksgiving present it to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding which when we don't make sense about things God's peace transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus do you ever thank God sometimes even when it doesn't make sense. Would you bow your head, please? So some of you have things going on in your life right now that you really don't want to thank God. And yet, Jehoshaphat and the Judean, the Judah people, lived it out. Paul tells us what to do. Thank God even when it doesn't make sense to us. Even when I don't feel like a God? Yes, even when you don't feel like it. So for those of you in the room and those watching on TV, what is it that God wants you to thank him for? Will you do it? Go ahead. Perhaps, God, perhaps God, God's word has 
convicted you this morning through his word and through the singing, through your time being here. God's spirit has moved in your heart. And he's told you a way you need to thank him. Or he said something else about, you need to get closer to me, he says. Maybe you want prayer. Maybe you've never become a Christian and you know you need to do that. Whatever your need, questions about the message, whatever God is placing on your heart, if when you leave this room after the service is over and go into the lobby and turn right over by the welcome station, there will be individuals who are there to talk with you, to listen to you, to pray with you, to answer your questions. Seek them out. If you're watching online and you have questions, if you would get in touch with us with the information that you see on the screen, we will contact you no later than tomorrow. Father in heaven, thank you for saving us through your son Jesus. God, thank you for the times you told me no when that was the best for me. May we take you at your word, trust you, Thank you in the middle of whatever garbage is going on in our lives, knowing that you have maybe already given the best answer. May we let your spirit guide us. Thank you, God, that you love us enough to do what is best for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.